Welcome to Hustle and Pro Season 2, talking sports in Frisco from youth to pro. Now here's your host, Kelly Walker. Welcome to Hustle and Pro. We are digging a little bit deeper into esports today. So a familiar voice is here to help. John Davidson, he knows esports because he's worked in it via GameStop, Stadia Ventures, uh, throughout UNT, and also PRG, and then some. So John, welcome. Thanks for coming back. Are you ready to jump in? I am. Thank you for having me. So I mentioned the, um, some of the stops in your career quickly off the top, but I want to hear in your words some of your kind of credentials and work experience in this eSports world. Yeah, so um, essentially uh, the, the things that I've done in eSports, uh, I, I worked at the marketing arm um, agency of GameStop. Um, so I was on the, the agency team for GameStop there. Then I was hired on to the, uh, the brand side at GameStop uh, to lead non-endemic partnerships. And my first day, they said, we want you to figure out esports for us. And so that was just one of those moments where it's kind of the a fork in the road. First day? First day. Okay. Yeah. Because, you know, they're like, okay, we have this guy who's, who's doing, uh, you know, he's doing partnerships. And it was a little bit of a different workflow from everybody else on the marketing team. Everybody else is managing the publishers of the video games, um, Ubisoft, Activision, et cetera, Nintendo. And so um, they're like, they, they gave me influencer marketing and esports in addition to partnerships. I was like, am I getting paid three times more? Right. The answer was no. No, <laughs> never. <laughs> but the it, answer is you're the new, the new young person who can take all this on and go right. figure it out, right? Exactly. So... You know, a lot of people say, John, that was just three years ago, and, you know, uh, was what was GameStop doing not doing anything in esports? Wait, this until... was just three years ago? Yeah. Oh, okay. Never mind. I'm thinking this was, like, ages ago for some reason. Okay. No. Okay. No. So, it's just, I've been, you know, built the brand marketing uh, experience. Okay. And... Not that you're not the young guy. I'm just saying. Like, for some <laughs> reason, I was thinking this was, like, at the very early forefront of esports or something. So, three years ago. So, well, we're... Yeah, we esports is basically dog years. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. But yeah, essentially, uh, you know, I obviously I had experience. I was, you know, knowledgeable to a point about esports. You know, just because I'm 36, so everybody's been who's my age. You know, um, playing video games as a hobby when I wasn't skateboarding, and so, um, you know, GameStop brought me on, and they they said we should figure out esports for us. And what that meant was they had dabbled in you know, Madden back in the day, some Street Fighter tournaments. Mm -hmm. What they want to figure out is how can we make money doing this? Because it's, it's a very, it's a much longer conversation. So I was tasked with figuring out how to make money in esports at GameStop, because that's the challenge. Right. Um, most esports titles are old, meaning people already own the game. Um, uh, so, so no new revenue for GameStop. Right. Gotcha. So you show up to a tournament, you're trying to sell video games, everybody already owns them. Um, there's a lot of games that are free now. So you have Fortnite, mm -hmm. um, uh, Activision just re released a new uh, version of Call of Duty that's free. Okay. It's like, kind of like a Fortnite genre, battle royale genre. Okay. Um, so you, it's, it's difficult for a physical gaming retailer to make money doing that. And so, you know, we figured out. never thought about it that way. Yeah. Yeah, it's they, a lot more. Once they've sold one, you know, game, one unit, like they need the people that are playing it. They saw all that possible monetization on the table and that was your job? To go figure out how to get some more from an esport in the esports yeah okay yeah, yeah world exactly so um i i went to this conference and um it was everybody who you know the the ogs of the industry um 
were there and they were very open about, we haven't even really figured this out yet. You know, it's, it's still the wild old West. And mm-hmm. I just saw the opportunity of like, this needs to be my focus, you know? So I came back and I said, guys, there, there were challenges with partnerships, um, over there with non-endemic brands, it just the sales cycle and things of that nature is, is challenging when you're promoting a game for two weeks and then you're on to the next one, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It's a longer conversation, but I said, guys, esports is the sponsorable opportunity. Let's figure out our esports strategy, and then we can have sponsorships come through that. But also, let's focus on some sponsorships with some teams and some leagues. So I developed, uh, I initiated the uh, partnership with Complexity Gaming, which is owned by Jerry Jones, which is the the GameStop Performance Center at the, at Star, the Star in Frisco. Yeah. And so when you say you initiated, how, what? Is, yeah. What do you mean? Where did that come from? Well, a lot of it is, um, you know, developing relationships in mm-hmm. business, and so. Um, a guy who's a good friend of mine now, Daniel Hers, uh, formerly the chief revenue officer at Complexity Gaming. Mm-hmm. And so he moved here from New York and I reached out, we became good friends. And, um, for, for a long time, GameStop didn't really have any budget to do any of this stuff. Uh, we had a new CMO come in and then budget was allocated and gave us some opportunities. And we were, we were, uh, figuring out our, our different sponsorship stuff. Like, you know, we had some old sponsorships that weren't working for us the way they should. So mm-hmm. we wanted to replace those with other things. And so Daniel, he, he you know, to his credit, he, he kept in my ear saying, Hey, there's this thing, there's this thing. And I kept saying, I don't have any money. I don't have any money. And then we had a meeting where we had to replace something that we could bring in our vendor partners, you know, to regularly for, for co-op marketing mm-hmm. sort of a thing. Okay. And so I said to my boss, I said, so you're telling me you need something to replace this and we have budget to replace it. And she said, yes. And I, I texted Daniel and unfortunately neither of us have the text, but it was like, now is your moment or Don't something. Get something on it. Yeah. Epic like that. There's and an opening. Like exactly. there's, this is the opportunity. Yeah. So him and I, you know, we started working together one-on-one on, you know, what this would be, what the assets would be, et cetera. Uh, obviously then brought in the bigger team, you know, on both mm-hmm. the GameStop side and the complexity side, obviously the, the leadership, you know, the C-suite has to approve these things. Mm-hmm. So um, eventually it was these guys making the connections, but um, brought our CMO, our, our new CEO, in to bring, meet Jerry Jones and, you know, ha- have lunch with him at um, at the Cowboys Club. And um, just a really cool experience. It was, yeah. it was so cool to see something that's now so tangible. Mm-hmm. You can go to the Star in Frisco and you look up and you see the GameStop Performance Center. And yep. that's, I mean... And that's the one that faces... Faces the actual star, like the it, GameStop is in the building south of the star, yeah. which is the same building as like Tri-Tip and mm-hmm. um, the Blow Dry Bar at the bottom, all that. So when you're walking around the star complex, yeah. if you leave the turf field out front, yeah. it's basically, you'd, you'd almost right walk to into left. it. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Okay. In fact, Tri-Tip Grill is right under that sign mm-hmm. and they got so much free PR. Oh, because of the, <laughs> yeah, showing the opening of GameStop, yeah. Yeah, well, we sh- we had this picture of, of the building with the sign up and Tri-Tip Girls right there. I need to go in there with a punch card. Yeah. Or, or go in there with, like, I think we generated, like, what, like 60 million impressions or something like that. I need to go in there and be like, hey, guys. Let I me bet get they appreciate it. Discount or something. Yeah. Um, but One yes. of the perks. Hey, they were there first, right? Exactly. They, they... They probably suffered through being one of the only, you know, first ones. So now they, they benefited from a bigger name coming in above them. Big time. So, so, so like you said, it's a tangible thing that people are walking through now. 
Yes. How, so how long, what's the time frame when you and your buddy realized there was an opening and an opportunity from when it was actually a physical open um, facility yeah. or what is it called? I mean, is it yeah. an experience? I know. Well, but, you know. from it being open, so it was closed to the public for a while because they had to build it, the inside. And then um, there's this, I encourage everybody who's listening to go in there, take your kids. It's an awesome place. But they have this really cool LED ribbon that like curves and does a loop and all this craziness. And it was a major challenge to get that built and to ship it in a way that wouldn't break mm. and then install it. And so... So are we talking like a LED ribbon like you see on the Today Show, like in Times Square, that's like words are... are are tracing? Yeah, it's it's programmable. They can have just about any type of words or graphics come across okay. it. But you're saying it moves and bends and goes in different directions. Yeah, it starts okay. in the in the floor. It goes oh, cool. up and it curves and then it goes up into the ceiling. Cool. Obviously, to, I haven't been in there yet. Yeah, I you need, need to, to. You need to take a visit. So that took a lot longer um, than planned to like. They had to like engineer how to develop <laughs> how to develop that sort of a thing. So. We did the deal, agreed on the deal. We had the sign put up. They're building the inside of it. Um, it's their offices and their pros train there as well. And then there's a public opening mm -hmm. area too. So there, there was, I want to say, a lot of pieces to it then, between yeah. initiating versus uh, having the sign up was maybe six months, oh, something okay. like that. Yeah. Six to eight months, I would say. It's quick. And then, but from then to it actually being opening, that may have been another six months, mm -hmm. something like that. But we had a grand opening there. Super cool. It is, it's literally the best training facility for esports in the world. So for that to be wow. right here, like, I mean, people can go in and experience it. Um, it's really impressive. So, I say, wow, it shouldn't surprise me because it's a Jerry Jones project. So that's kind of how he rolls. He's going to build the best thing that can be built at that time, right? Exactly. That's what's to be expected when you're talk when you're working with Jerry Jones. You're right. And so in addition to that, uh, we did uh, deals with Team Envy, which is based here in Dallas. Mm -hmm. They own um, the Dallas Fuel. They have the Dallas Empire teams. They've got a number of other um, global teams as well. We did deals with uh, Infinite Esports Entertainment, which is no longer, but at the time they owned Optic Gaming mm -hmm. and the Houston Outlaws. And then we also did deal with uh, Match Arena, which is an online tournament platform. The goal there was to help enable and fund the grassroots level of competitive gaming by funding prize pools and GameStop kind of getting credit for that from the community. And There's then, so many levels, right? There's, oh, yeah. You, like, that's very grassroots. Big time, yeah. But then you're also probably working on the higher level stuff. We think about, like, TV deals when we hear about NFL and MLB and NHL, all the big, big money that's in sports. It all really funnels yeah. through... The TV deals. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. I I don't I don't think esports is dealing with TV deals in that nature, but it's all more streaming. Or is this like is this where YouTube yeah. comes in and the streaming companies that you're dealing doing those big? When we're talking like the biggest deals, is that what it is? Is like streaming and digital deals? Well, so you're exactly right that um, traditional sports have media rights deals, mm -hmm. and esports does not. Okay, and that's. That's a big challenge. This is one of the reasons, uh, one of the things the Esports Trade Association, which I'm, I'm the president of, is, you know, is seeking to help um, with these things. But monetization is a big challenge in esports. Uh, currently, the number one source of revenue is sponsorships. And a lot of uh, non-endemic sponsors are having a, a tough time generating a financial ROI from their sponsorships. It's hard to track. It's hard to track. Um, it's also 
what are your goals? Mm -hmm. You know, it's more of a brand marketing play. Right, right. And it's a longer term play. So I, I tell people esports is it's a great opportunity for investment and sponsorship, but it's a great long term opportunity. And it's a better opportunity uh, for global teams or uh, uh, sorry, global brands because mm -hmm. esports is very global. And yeah. it's actually, the majority is international. Um, that what makes we, sense. What we have yeah. seen is that Overwatch League and Call of Duty League have, have local franchises. So esports has not typically been tied geographically. And so it's actually grown the opposite way of traditional sports. Mm -hmm. So traditional sports, you and I start a game, let's say it's home baseball. Teams. Right. Home yep. teams, national, domestic, global, right? Yep. Esports uh, initiated in Korea, South Korea, and then it grew, but it grew online. Yep. And so you have a number of these tournaments that, but they were in, they were not determined by home teams. They're determined by either what's convenient or where the community is. Like a host venue or something. Exactly. Not so much where the players are. Exactly. And That's so, so fascinating. Yeah. yeah. So Overwatch League, uh, which this is their third year. Yeah. I want to talk more about that. Yeah. They actually um, started doing franchises. And so they have 20 global franchises. There's um, 11 in the U.S., there's two in Canada, and the remaining are in Europe and Asia. And then Call of Duty League started this year. They're both owned by the same publisher, Activision Blizzard. Okay. Um, and so in the esports world, a, a big difference between traditional sports and uh, esports is that the the publishers own the IP, the, the intellectual property of the game. So the NFL owns the IP of the NFL and the word Super Bowl and mm -hmm. things like that. That's mm -hmm. why you see like big game yes. celebrations. We all know that. Yep, yep. But they don't own football. That's why there can be an XFL right. and then these other leagues that exactly. have kind of popped up. Yep. You can't have a Call of Duty league unless Activision Blizzard lets you do it. Because you're using their IP. It's their IP. And so that's a that's a major X factor mm -hmm. in the whole thing. But that's why you say it's a franchise model. Is that yeah. the, what's the name of the parent company? Activ Activision Blizzard. Activision Blizzard mm -hmm. says, okay, we'll grant you the rights to have your team mm -hmm. within our league that's the Call of Duty League, right? Yeah. So, so but then the, the, are these owners in each franchise that are building a team and then multiple teams of people? So they're recruiting so players? The, so the way that it's working is you have, for Overwatch League and Call of Duty League specifically, they have the same ownership. So they, um, they both started with, well, let's do Overwatch League because that's more simple. Okay. So year one, they said, we want 12 teams. We're selling franchises for $20 million. Okay. And I remember some people have told me before, you know, they said, John, why would anybody buy an esports team for $20 million? It's like, well, look up the lowest cost of any traditional sports franchise. Right. And that's about 14% of the... Yeah, and be a flash sale for... A Exactly. So, so if this is the future, it's pennies on the dollar for mm -hmm. investors. And this is what they're always looking for, right? Mm -hmm. To be ahead of the trends and, you know. Yeah. Are there, oh, I'm interrupting you, but come back to it then mm -hmm. if I need to. But I'm curious, are there traditional sports owners that are buying into the esports model? Big Surely. Time. Yeah. So, Anybody I'd know? I mean, yeah. So okay. Overwatch League. So um, the if I'm just going off the top of my memory here, but the U.S.-based teams, there's the San Francisco team, San Francisco Shock. They won the, turn, the championship last year. Andy Miller owns um, an organization called NRG, which is an esports organization. Esports organizations are structured like college athletics. So let's say UNT has a football team, a baseball team, a basketball team, right? Mm -hmm. NRG has a 
Overwatch League team, a Call of Duty game. League team, etc. Right? Okay. And there's players don't play more than one game. They play that game. They're focused on their exactly. what they're the best at. Right. So going back to your question of uh, traditional sports ownership, Annie Miller is part owner of the Sacramento Kings. Um, in fact, NRG has a number of professional athletes who are invested. So like Alex Rodriguez is invested. Um, I think Jennifer Lopez is invested. Okay. Um, Marshawn Lynch, I believe. Shaq, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, Robert Kraft, he's known for having one of every type of yep. team. Yep. He owns the Boston Uprising, which is the Overwatch League team in Boston. Uh, the, Flor the Miami team, uh, Florida Mayhem, which I was going to be there this weekend, but it's canceled. Um, their ownership group is part of the Miami Heat. Okay, so um, so they're getting like on that. board. These are people like you said. When the regular everyday guy says, "Why would I invest this?" You don't. Those guys aren't asking that question. They understand yeah. it because they already have the traditional investment model, and so this to yeah. them is just sort of a lower risk option. Like you said, if this is the future, they're getting in on the ground floor of building these companies that are going to mm -hmm. have teams and leagues under their umbrella. Yeah, and they can set up the infrastructure probably fairly easily. And they have a unique perspective. So the reason why, so it's been about four years now since in the U.S. esports really blew up, right? Well, only four. Gosh, it seems four, longer, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, since, since, it's really, well, since it really blew up. Yeah. I mean, it, there's over over the last few years, you know, it's it's gained steam, but there, there's a massive like spike. Right. Right. So the reasons was brands for advertising are saying, how do we get in front of young people? Well, they're not watching traditional TV anymore. Right. And they're not going to traditional sporting events. They're all playing video games. Yep. And so, and, you know, these pro owners, they also have a unique perspective. <laughs> My son is in here <laughs> and he is having a wonderful time. So if you hear him, that's Johnny. Um, so these traditional sports owners, they're seeing attendance decline, right? And they're also saying, how can I get young people to be fans of my team, fans of the league that we play in, et cetera. So it's it's the same question from two major parties that are also connected, mm -hmm. right? Sponsors and teams. And so everybody's playing video games. I always say esports has made gaming sponsorable. Because if you look at the... Esports is a microcosm right. of video games as a whole. Gaming itself is kind of like you said, going back to one retail purchase and then you you kind of not lose your customer, but if it was just the gaming, you wouldn't have as much access to an well, audience. The other the thing esports made that part happen, right? That's, Where there's well, that's part of it. The other part engagement. of it is most video games are not competitive, mm. and in fact, some of the biggest games in the world. In fact, two years ago, Red Dead. Redemption 2 is, um, Call of Duty's kind of the biggest seller yeah. every year, kind of on average. And so Red Dead Redemption 2 was right up there with it. And it's it's a game where you're in a Western countryside riding around, you Independently, know, right? Exactly. Yeah. So how does a brand outside of the release of the game interact in this thing that millions of people are playing? Well, esports has sponsorable assets that brands look at that and they say, oh, I've got events, I've got leagues, I've got teams, I've got content, etc. I recognize those things. Now, the biggest difference, however, which is what I've been able to communicate to people and I've been able to learn, it's kind of what's shot me off in my career, 
is being able to communicate how you engage this audience because it's very different from uh, from traditional sports. Mm -hmm. In fact, I, I, I call it a healthy skepticism. And it's funny because, because I come from the skateboarding world, which we skateboarders don't want anybody in our space. And it's, it's actually unhealthy skepticism mm -hmm. in skateboarding. It's like, we'd rather be poor. We want to be hated on. We want this to ourselves. We're countercultural. Get out of here. You yeah. don't belong here. Keep You're not it, one of us. Keep it your thing. Keep it naturally skateboarding. Yeah, and Don't I mess think, with it. <laughs> right. And, and it has stunted the growth of the skateboard industry as a result, for better or for worse. If you want to keep it pure, it's for better. If you want it to grow, it would be for worse. Right. right. But gamers, I think they have a great balance. It's, it's called, I call it healthy skepticism because they're skeptical of brands from outside the space who want to come in. Because it's kind of like, where were you when I wasn't mm -hmm. cool sort mm -hmm. of a thing. But if they activate in a way that adds value to the community, and there's a number of ways to do that, um, then they embrace it and they champion them like nothing else. And so I always use the example, um, you've probably been to a Dallas Cowboys game, I'm sure. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so they have an Albertsons blimp that flies around in there, right? Yeah. And, you know, I've been up there and um, seen that. And you see that and you think, oh, that's kind of fun. You're not like... What right does Albertsons, what are they doing here? They have nothing to do with football. Right. Right? What, no, you're just, you're just like, oh, cool, Albertsons. Yeah. Oh, that blimp's kind of fun. But in gaming, it's like, hold on, you're not part of us. Yeah. What are you doing? And so there's a number of ways to add value, whether it's, you know, I, I always tell brands, if you want to be in esports, it needs to, the experience, whether as a fan, as competing, unique experiences or content need to be better as a result of your band being part of it. Hmm. You can't just hit your wagon to it and then, like, you're gaining awareness because of your logo. Yeah. You're going to get blacklisted, and this is a very digitally savvy, vocal audience that yeah. is going to let gonna you call know. call you out, yeah. Yeah. But if you do it the right way, if, if I go to an event and I now have an opportunity or experience that I wouldn't have had otherwise because of your brand... There now I'm now I'm excited about yeah. your brand and I'm thankful and I champion it and and the brands who do it right are very glad that they've sponsored and invested in esports. They're kind of or or you know authentically merging in with it because like you said they're probably territorial like the the mm -hmm. gaming community is territorial they're protecting what they've built and they don't want outsiders coming in and trying to change it or I don't know not be authentic yeah. and with their audience. So Okay, so we I want to clear up kind of things like gamers versus streamers and mm -hmm. how they're both kind of being successful right now. So, I mean, when I think of gamers, I do think of the people that are pl playing the game and other people are watching them. But are we are gamers and streamers totally different segments in esports where their gamers are competing and streamers aren't? It's a little bit different, um, but similar to what you're saying. Okay, so. Uh, what you're, I think what you're trying to say is that pro gamers and streamers mm -hmm. are different. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. streamers, are, they're all gaming. They're all, they're all playing. playing video games, sure. right? So, um, but streamers and pros are two different types of people. Okay. And, and so um, streamers can be playing competitive games like Fortnite or, you know, I'll, I'll, a lot of esports titles are, are popular. And so... You know, people want to watch these guys. They're the best in the world. You're, they're entertaining personalities. You're also learning based on what you see them do and how they're doing it, etc. And some pros stream, 
but not all streamers compete. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so, you know, you have some pros, you know, a big part of streaming, it's entertainment mm -hmm. is what it comes down to. And so you have some pros who it's the same thing, traditional sports. They just don't have engaging personalities. They're introverts. And yeah. so you're so not going to have an entertaining stream. But you could be really good and but competitive you could be great and, and win and beat everybody. Right. And then what we're seeing on the streaming side of it, which is really interesting. So you do have streamers who compete. Like you'll have the, like the Fortnite World Cup ninja, who's mm -hmm. kind of the best, well, yep. best known guy. He competed in that. He lost money taking time off streaming to go By compete. competing. Because does he win? He, like he might not be the best. I mean, he, whether right. it's him or somebody else. Well, the best did, streamers might not be the best players. You're exactly right. So it's 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 a it's very uh, it, it's a tough decision because it's like I you know competing. Everybody wanted to see Ninja compete because he is one of the best players, right? But he's not the best in the world and wasn't on that day. So the the competition kind of validates. It can validate. Yep. Some people don't need it. Some do. It depends on their personal brand, right? And his fans might not care. Right. Right? But if he wins a certain tournament right. or but whatever. You would think but if, he's not getting the payout. So you're saying him not getting the payout of winning that tournament could make him less income than if he was just streaming like he was. Well, he lost day. money because he, like, people unsubscribe when he doesn't regulate. I mean, streaming is a grind. Got to keep producing content. They're, the demand for consistent content is brutal, and mm. they're streaming for hours and hours and hours. So that's one of the major challenges and even things when it comes to uh, training and practicing. Uh, one of the biggest reasons for people uh, ending their pro careers is burnout. And a lot of it is that the way people have trained historically is they're playing video games for 14 hours mm -hmm. every single day. And there's a number of things. Number one, you get tired of, you get tired of it over time. Um, you know, we, we know in the professional world, just sitting at a desk is not great for you, mm -hmm. right? So in the same way, sitting at a desk playing a video game is also not great for you. Right. And while it's not as physical as, you know, football or a, a, a contact sport, anything you do that's repetitive with your body wears down. Right, especially if you're not doing it in the right mm -hmm. with the right Position form, yeah. yeah. And so that's why we see injuries develop and things like that. But you know, I have I have friends who are strength, physical strength coaches, who are focused on esports. A good friend of mine, uh, he used to be a, a strength and training coach for the San Francisco 49ers football team, and now he's helping out pro gamers. Wow! Because it's a number of things. Number one, it's hey, yeah, you do need to practice a lot, but that doesn't just mean running, or I mean, playing, playing. 14 hours, mm -hmm. like marathon runners, yeah, they got to run a lot, but they don't just run all day, every right. day. You do other things, making sure your body is tuned up, right? Right. And there's other it's, things. It's everything from your nutrition, mm -hmm. your sleep. There's a, there's a mind and a body component mm -hmm. there. So not only when, when you're physically fit, your mind is working well. Um, also, a lot of esports has to do with confidence and the way you feel. And if you look good, you feel good, you're confident. Yeah. to perform well. That makes sense. Another thing um, that's a little bit more cosmetic is these guys are become popular. They're global superstars. Now they want to look good as well. And especially like you see well, the Call of Duty League People are staring at their face on a screen. Yeah. In some capacity. If they're streamers, they're being stared at for all those hours in a row up close. Yeah. And if they're competing, they end up on a big screen in front of an arena of people, right? Yeah. So there's a number of different motivations for it but um yeah the streaming and and 
esports, and then there's a spon that is sponsorship considerations. So when you're thinking about how do I want to sponsor, well, shoot, you can do a league sponsorship. You could sponsor a team. Which, so it, to compare with what I did at GameStop, mm -hmm. to the full strategy there. So what who I didn't mention, who I don't want to leave out, is Collegiate Star League. They do more uh, college tournaments than anybody in in the U.S. Um, and they're great. So everybody on a college campus is a gamer. So we want to gauge those the youth who are you know, they're making their their own buying choices for the first time. Mm -hmm. You know, creating loyalty with brands. Sure. But so you could sponsor a league, and we wanted to hit it from all these facets. So league, we did um, collegiate star league, and we did watch parties for Overwatch League teams. So it was league level. Team level, we wanted to balance local and national. So my, my, uh, my area, if you will, was not global. It was just the U.S. at GameStop. And so um, when I, I, say, I always say esports makes gaming sponsorable, but Overwatch League has made it sponsorable for local brands. Okay. Because what's cool, here's a good example, the Houston Outlaws. They have a sponsorship with HEB, the grocery mm -hmm. outlet, right? Yep. And everybody loves HEB. Right. Well, HEB would not have a play in esports if it wasn't for local franchises because they're a local Yeah, they don't brand. other markets don't north of Central Texas have no clue who they are. And they don't need to spend money in markets north of Central Texas. Exactly. They're so they were able to sponsor the Outlaws, and it's, and it's a great partnership for both sides gotcha. from what I know. Yeah, and that so, makes sense. So we did uh, with the teams, Overwatch League, so Envy... And um, Infinite had, so uh, Envy had Fuel, and then their bigger teams, Counter-Strike, I can't remember all the games that they play, and then Optic um, had, or Infinite owned Optic, which had Call of Duty, and they had Gears of War at the time, and then they owned the Houston Atlas, which was local. And then we did the, the very grassroots uh, Match Arena, which was really funding the grassroots. What we and then we also sponsored, uh, towards the end of my time there, Justin Wong, who is a player. So you could do an individual player sponsorship. Um, and what we didn't do, um, but people can do, is you sponsor a content creator, a streamer. And so there's, there's, there's all these different facets. to get involved. Mm -hmm. It depends on your brand and your goals as to what you want to do. But I always tell people it's not, it's not a quick sales thing. It's, it's um, brand marketing, and it's much more creating loyalty, affinity, and positive sentiment with the audience. And sales will follow right. in the years following. but When they trust you and they've seen you. And yeah, it's all about motivations. They want to know that you are authentically and genuinely here for them first, and then they'll be there for you. But you can't fake it because they'll smell it from a mile away. Right. So you talked about all these gamers. And so me, I'm a parent. Obviously, you're a parent too. Yep. So a big, a big concern in the parenting world is how... You know, how much do you let your kids play and this and that? Yeah. Every family has different rules, and they should. Every kid has should have different boundaries and limitations and all the healthy ways to do whatever activities they're doing. Right. Because I think you can just get just as much overkill and overuse in an outdoor traditional sport as you can being in a room playing video games. So it all needs a limitations and healthy boundaries and balance with balance. everything. Exactly. Everything. Yeah. Yes. Because just as I don't want a kid playing five hours of video games every night when they're under 10, I wouldn't want them also playing five hours of soccer every night. And that's all they do all the time because they'll right. get hurt, um, sure. overuse and injury and things like that. But anyway, 
So if it's if that's your kid and they're going to do it anyway, and you've set your limitations and they're good, mm-hmm. um, you know what? Like, what's your take on it from being inside the industry? What are some tips or advice? Like, if you're the parent of the kid who might actually be really good at this and might want to continue doing this, yeah. what do you what do you do? What do you say to them? Yeah, so there's a number of things. One is, um, you know, when I was growing up, you could keep your kids from playing video games at all, for the right other other when when he goes over to his friend's house or whatever. But mm-hmm. it wasn't a fabric of their social network of their social experience in school. When you know, I'm 36, so when um, you know, I was in high school and stuff, it wasn't, you know, it didn't have anything to, you don't have this skin in the game or, you know, you're not playing this or your status isn't this, that, you know, it was your clothes and, you know, are you on the baseball team or things like that, right? Right. Um, now, I don't think, you know, kids in junior high, high school, I don't think you can keep them from playing video games at all, completely. And I think, I don't think you would want to because it's such a part of, the identity and everybody's doing it. And, you know, you could be enabling your child to be bullied or an outcast. It, that wouldn't be your goal, but that would be the result because it's such an important, intricate part of young people's lives, right? So when you look at that, you say, okay, what are the positives? Because, you know, as parents, we want to keep our children safe, first and foremost, but oftentimes we fear what we don't understand, mm-hmm. right? So um, understanding, number one, what are some of the games that are okay to play? You know, there's some games you don't want your kid playing. Right, right. There's appropriate levels of within each game. You have to, you have to investigate that a little bit. Sure, as right. a parent, you need to know what they're playing. That's exactly right. Hundred <laughs> percent. That's first step. Hundred percent. Before and the boundaries are set, you got to yeah. regulate. Just like any movies, you're going to let them watch. You're not going to put them in front of a TV screen watching rated R movies until they're old enough to be able to handle that. Exactly. Sure. And screen time with TVs, same thing with screen time with, with yep. games, right? You don't want them sitting in front of the screen all the time. Um, but there are a number of skills that uh, relate to the real world and can help them both in careers outside of gaming, but also the infrastructure of the gaming esports world has created uh, career opportunities the w- same way traditional sports do. Mm-hmm. So I'll go into that first, and then I'll talk about the benefits. But the cool thing about if you are a big football fan, you can work a number of different types of jobs or careers and work for a football team or the NFL, mm-hmm. right? You could do uh, HR. You could be in partnerships or marketing, media, and yep. media. You could be a strength and training coach. You can be a graphic designer, broadcaster, AV. Yeah, I mean, there's it's right. Every type of, well, not every, lots of types of career options can still stem around that sport. Sure, hundred percent. Mm-hmm. So, in the same, so people who you know, what three. 0.3% of the population go pro in something, I think it is, something like that. And <laughs> so you can, what's super cool about young people who are passionate about gaming and esports is they can pursue that passion without having to be a pro. And even if you are a pro, you continue can, to work in that industry as mm-hmm. a result. So that's super cool, number one, yeah. is to for parents to know this is not a complete waste of your kid's time. What he's becoming passionate about, he can still you know, when he gets older, get into marketing, get into business, get into graphic design, et cetera. And, you know, he's able to have a path because he understands the community and he's part of it. 
right? Yeah, in and around that so e-sport. That yeah. part's not a waste. Yeah. Now, there's also benefits, and there's uh, there's things outside of um, e-sports and gaming that they can take advantage of. So um, I was meeting with a gentleman from the Marines yesterday, and he's helping to craft uh, the Marines' sponsorship and partnership approach to esports, mm -hmm. right? So we're just sharing some insights there. And one thing is, w when it comes to pilots, um, there's a lot of skills that translate. Oh yeah. From uh, using a controller, the hand-eye coordination, being able to work across multiple monitors and screens. Yeah, just you think of the simulation process. That's how they train. Exactly. To be a real life pilot is simulators. Exactly. Right. And you see, you know, drones, you mm -hmm. know, a lot of, you know, warfare is now drone warfare. And so um, I do know that um, our military is short on pilots and things of that nature. And so to, you know, to have young people to say, look, you guys have this skill set and it, it's a developed skill set. You know, have a career opportunity in the military, which can also now create educational opportunities for you as well with right. those incentives. Yep. Right. Yep. The other thing, too, um, I was talking to a gentleman uh, with eFuse, Patrick Klein. Uh, they do a great job of connecting young people uh, with with opportunities in eSports and, and doing that sort of a thing. And he shared a stat with me that I'd never heard before. Um, so eSports clubs have been developing in college. Now they're developing in high school. What he told me is that 80% of kids who are in these high school clubs, eSports clubs, mm -hmm. 80% or more, it's their first extracurricular activity. And when we think about all the benefits to extracurricular activities, being part of a team, uh, per perseverance of winning and losing, camaraderie, friendship, right? I mean, you could, you could save a life for a kid who makes a friend who otherwise wouldn't have, wouldn't yeah. have and went deep into depression. Yeah, right? and accountability. If there's a club expecting you to be in attendance a certain day after school or whatever it is, just being accountable yeah. with a peer group is and, important. Mm -hmm. Right, and you see kids oftentimes are doing better in school if they're they're engaged with the thing. They want to go to school because they have that friend. They've got the eSports the e club. They're now, you know, incentivized to do better yeah. with their classes. Something to look forward to on Some, campus, maybe. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And so um, there's a lot of benefits there. There's there's STEM applications from, that's usually the most immediately, mm -hmm. immediate application um, with esports. And um, there's there's just so many different facets of, you know, there, there's the technical part of it. There's the game development part of it. Um, there's a lot of stuff with computers um, that sure. that's obviously, it's the current, but it's also even more so the future. Um, of careers. And so if you can have kids are familiar with um, robotics, right. who are familiar with technology, yeah, who are comfortable with in. it. Um, I it mean, even like road. even when you go beyond that, all of the hands-on stuff, I mean, I bet you there's, there's lawyers who specialize in contracts and there sponsorships are. that you probably deal with and work mm -hmm. with. And there's, I mean, you mentioned the health and sports science side of it. So it's even beyond people that or, you know, hands-on touching the sport, mm -hmm. but just the business structure of it. And I know you talk about that, too, is the importance of an underlying knowledge of business. Yeah. So it's not like these kids should just, if they are going to be the, the player, maybe even if that's their, like you said, that's the smallest op probably opportunity for you to actually be the player. But no right. matter what your um, interest, you know, piece of it is, um, you agree that it's super important to have the business background so that you're not just a talent piece 
evolve this big business happening around you, right? Yeah. In fact, uh, you know, in my skateboarding career, I, um, you know, I was able to go, um, you know, I had a certain level of success uh, based on my abilities on the board. And that probably uh, went a little further due to my understanding of sponsorship and Mm -hmm. things of that nature. But I've had some unique experiences skating Rob Durdick's Fantasy Factory, skating uh, courses uh, for street league skateboarding that only the 20 best skaters in the world skate, Uh, being featured on the Barracks, the world's most visited skateboarding website. I've done these things because of my business career. much where I would, if it was only regarding my talents on the board, I would have never had those opportunities. You'd have missed, they, you wouldn't have, right. you'd have missed them. And so in the same way, when young people, let's say who have a passion in esports or gaming, if, if they are, have a background in business, they're going to have more opportunities to do what they're passionate about. The other thing I always put it pretty plainly is a background in business enables you to understand how to make money doing what you love or understanding that what you love doesn't make any money. So don't do it for a hobby, yeah. not for a job. <laughs> right. That's an important distinction. And sure. I've given this example before too, where I was in um, a local flower shop randomly a year or two ago. And it really hit me because I was, I was there with my mom and we were, we were looking at uh, different flowers she wanted to put in her garden. And the, the person was taking us around and knew everything there was about flowers. I don't know a thing about flowers, but this person did. And it struck me that if all that person, if that person doesn't know business, if they don't know marketing, su- the supply chain, how are they sourcing yeah. those, um, the tax side of it, you know, the whole right. financial side of it, you know, are you, do you have the best POS system that you need and all the capabilities there, right. et cetera. You could be the most knowledgeable, knowledgeable person about flowers and you're going to go out of business. You're just going to talk about flowers all day. Exactly. Nobody's going to know or find you or, you know, you can't, it goes back to monetizing. 100%. Yep, running the business part. Right. And so you, you know, it's great to, to partner those people, but um, yeah, that doesn't mean that you need to, you know, I don't think college is for everybody. I had a, I went to Sacramento State University I got a tremendous education. I'm so glad I went. I thought I was going to get my piece of paper and get my ticket to the world. Mm-hmm. I learned so much. I do know in graphic design and some of these other things, college is not necessarily necessary. But what I would say is regardless of your background being getting a marketing or a business degree or whether it's interning or just being mentored mm-hmm. on the business side of something, at least fill out that side of your skill set and your understanding so that you're seeing both sides because it's it's going to be a huge benefit to you. Yeah, that's great advice. Learn it. Yeah. Right. Learn it so that you can get the most out of the passion, the, the part that you're passionate about. Fantastic. Well, thank you for the peek behind the curtain of eSports. There's so much more I know um, to learn. I feel like we just scratched the surface yet again. Um, and it's still growing, and it, there's so much momentum in esports. Um, so I'll always be trying to catch up and learn more yeah. and more. But thank you for joining us today and giving us some insight. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks, everyone, for listening. So subscribe if you haven't already, and we'll see you next time on Hustle and Pro. Hustle and Pro.